Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? So not long ago, David Meyer wrote a piece titled, Even Facebook's Critics Don't Grasp How Much Trouble Meta Is In. And he wrote it for Fast Company. And if you've been keeping up with Meta slash Facebook, you probably have a long list of things that Meyer could have been referring to. Could it be that various governments, such as the United States, are frequently scrutinizing Meta and calling company leaders to appear before legislative bodies to answer tough questions? Could it be the fact that TikTok continues to dominate as the social platform favored by younger people, meaning that Meta slash Facebook's user base is slowly aging out and it's not replacing it with new younger users? Is it that the company jumped the gun in an effort to be the front runner to define whatever the heck the metaverse is going to be? 
Well, all of those are factors that should be matters of concern for Facebook executives and for shareholders. But what Meyer was talking about was something else, something involving privacy and the law and a change that happened a couple of years ago that has affected everything. So on July 16th, 2020, the European Union's Court of Justice made a decision that would have enormous consequences. It concluded that an earlier data transfer process called the EU-US Privacy Shield was not sufficient to protect the private data of EU citizens and that it would thus be struck down. It would be invalidated. This has massive repercussions for companies like Meta, not just Meta. In fact, it has repercussions for any company that operates within the EU, but in fact has its, you know, any kind of data transfers that exit the EU. So Mark Zuckerberg said essentially that unless the EU changes the stance or makes an exception for the company, platforms like Facebook and Instagram will have to pull out of the European Union. That sounds kind of like they're making a threat, right? Like somehow, you know, Zuckerberg saying, hey, if you don't play by my rules, I'm taking my ball and going home. But really, this is more of a plea. It's really more, please, please, please don't do this because I can't do my thing if you do. So today I thought I would talk about what the Privacy Shield was, why it existed, why the EU decided it wasn't sufficient, what they're planning in its place, and what all this means for companies like Meta. To do that, we actually have to look back at the history of the EU and its stance on data privacy and security. Now, depending on how you look at it, the EU really traces its history back to the conclusion of World War II, but the single market that we would refer to as the European Union would not formally emerge until 1993. Now, around that same time, there was a growing general awareness about the internet, in large part helped by the introduction of something new called the World Wide Web. And it would take a few years for the web and the internet at large to really gain a foothold in the minds of the mainstream public. But some leaders in the EU were already dealing with concepts like data privacy. Data privacy doesn't just require, you know, digital transfers, right? Like you don't have to have that be part of the process for data privacy to be a concern. And in fact, the countries that made up the European Union had already been concerned about protecting EU citizen privacy when dealing with companies that existed outside the European Union? How can you guarantee that their private data remains safe when it's going into the hands of companies that aren't based in the European Union itself? That had already been a concern. But by 1995, the EU member states knew that there needed to be put in place laws that could protect citizen data, that there are fundamental rights associated with data that have to be protected. To that end, the EU built upon an earlier non-binding list of guiding principles relating to protecting citizen information. These principles included pretty common stuff, like alerting someone as to when their data would be collected uh, requesting consent before they disclose that information to some other party. So if you were to collect an EU citizen's information, you would then have to get their consent before you could share it with someone else. And 
various other concepts that are pretty common to what we see in, in privacy protection laws. They had been around before the rise of the internet, but because they were non-binding, they didn't really have any teeth to them. It was like, it would be nice if everyone agreed to obey these things, but there was no requirement to do so. The EU decided to formally establish data privacy rules, though these would have limitations too, which we'll talk about, and that these rules became known as the Data Protection Directive, or DPD. This directive set out the parameters for when and how entities would be allowed to collect European Union citizen information and how they could use it, specifically, you know, how they would be allowed to use it if they, it required a transfer outside the EU and, uh, and also how they were to alert citizens of things like collecting their data. Each member state of the EU was responsible for establishing a supervisory department to make sure that all parties were complying with this directive. And the directive stated that the only time data could be shared with countries outside the European Union is when those countries could adequately protect the data's security. So if a, if a country or company was unable to do that, then by this directive, it would not be allowed to transfer information outside the EU. Now, right away, these rules created challenges both within and without the EU. And when you really break it all down, all traffic on the internet is information. And a lot of that information ends up including personal identification information, or at least personally identifiable information. So, you might argue that personal information should only include stuff like, you know, a legal information, like a person's name or their address or their birth date or maybe the hospital where they were born, that kind of stuff. You know, information that relates directly to that individual. And when you take this information in a whole, it's more or less unique to that person. I have to say more or less simply because, you know, weird stuff. Anyway, that kind of information is absolutely important. It is worthy of being protected, and it's very easy to define, right? You could say this information directly corresponds to this individual, therefore we need to protect it. But then there's also other information that, while not specifically about a particular individual, could collectively identify that person all the same. So an IP address could be part of that. Uh, you might argue that's personal information, or you might argue, well, IP addresses aren't fully reliable because you could use something like a VPN, which would hide your IP address. So you can't just rely on that to identify a person. However, it, it falls into this gray area. But then there's stuff like the person's browsing behaviors, you know, what they like, what they don't like, how long they stay on a page. All of these things can actually start to create a digital fingerprint that points to a specific person. And it sounds wild, but it really doesn't take that many points of data to narrow down folks and figure out who created those data points. In the old days, doing that would have been tough simply because you're talking about a lot of data being generated and then trying to suss out what is signal based on all the noise. You know, to actually analyze that information and get something useful out of it. It was a time-consuming process. And it just, you know, when you look at it from a return on investment standpoint, in the old days, it just didn't make sense, right? Unless you were going after someone specific for nefarious purposes, you wouldn't do that for just anybody because it was too much effort. However, we have gotten a lot better 
at analyzing enormous data sets in a short amount of time using things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and various algorithms. So this has become less of an obstacle. It's not like science fiction level yet, but it's pretty darn close. So now some of the the technical restrictions that meant we didn't have to worry about this so much in the past aren't really a thing anymore. Anyway, the EU's directive meant that the United States, the the country, you know, where the internet got its start, would need to figure out a way to comply with this set of rules if it wanted to allow information to pass between the U.S. and the EU. Because a lot of these companies, their servers all exist within the United States. So by the nature of their business, any, any information that would be coming from the European Union would have to go across the Atlantic to a server in the U.S. To that end, some EU officials began to piece together what would become known as the International Safe Harbor Privacy Principles. Then we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'll talk a bit about Safe Harbor, what it was meant to do, and why it no longer is a thing. But first, these messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The International Safe Harbor Privacy Principles. What the heck was this? Well, it was a program that U.S. companies could apply to join. Uh, The companies would apply for certification, and that certification essentially said, these companies are taking the necessary steps to protect user data so they can be considered to be compliant with the data protection directive that the EU had previously passed. So ultimately, the goal here was to prevent the accidental disclosure of EU citizen private information that happened to be stored on servers within the United States. So it's outside the EU's control. This was the system by which companies would guarantee they would make sure that data would remain safe. The safe harbor system became effective in 2000. It took several years for it to formalize and then to be enacted. And U.S. companies that received certification under safe harbor and then registered with the EU would be allowed to operate things that would transfer data between the U.S. and EU without much trouble. Oh, and in order to qualify, those companies would also have to be companies that were regulated by the United States FTC, Federal Trade Commission, or the Department of Transportation. Those were the only companies that could qualify for safe harbor. Anything that didn't fall into those categories was an exception. And that actually cuts back on a lot of businesses, believe it or not. Now, something that I'm sure will not surprise many of you out there is that various reviews that were done on this system showed that a lot of the participating U.S. companies were not complying with the program, at least not to the extent that they should Companies were found to be reluctant to actually enforce the principles defined by the Safe Harbor program, and questions arose as to whether or not the industry could really be self-regulating. Like, can we trust these companies to regulate themselves? And of course we can't. Uh, All right, so quick side rant, but this applies directly to the topic. So the currency of the modern world isn't Bitcoin. It's not any other cryptocurrency because it goes a level deeper than that. The currency of the modern world is information. Data is valuable. Your data is valuable. If it weren't companies like Meta slash Facebook or Google, they wouldn't even exist if your data had no value. These companies depend upon us generating information, which the companies can then leverage in various ways. Now, an obvious way they do this is through advertising, specifically targeted advertising. You know, by analyzing the information I generate, a platform like Facebook or Google can suss out what matters to me. And it can pair my experience with ads that are more likely to get my attention and my action. That is money right there. That is incredibly valuable to these platforms. It's incredibly valuable to the advertisers and to their clients. So my information does have value. Yours does too. But even beyond targeted advertising, this information has incredible value. Through real-time analysis of browsing data across 
millions or hundreds of millions of users, platforms can detect and respond to trends before anyone is even aware that there is a trend there. So I think back to the description of chaos theory that says, imagine the flap of a butterfly's wings in South America setting into motion the variables that are necessary to generate a typhoon that hits Southeast Asia. That it, without that one instigating event, the variables are not in the right place to make that happen. Well, think for a moment about how many people use platforms like Google or Amazon or Facebook. Individually, that user's data is valuable, right? But collectively, across all users, that can drive corporate strategy. So there should be absolutely no surprise that companies are eager to exploit information, personal information. It's key to their business model and their success, which is why it's also not a big surprise that a lot of companies were slacking off when it came to self-regulation and complying with the principles of safe harbor. If the companies could get away with it, if they could operate without having to actually worry about complying with these rules, then they'd do it. And I'm sure there were no shortage of companies that weren't being outright nefarious or flaunting the law or anything like that, but were falling short of holding up to their end of the bargain. You know, because it's also hard to do. It's hard to pull off and still do business in a way that is cost effective, right? In order to comply with these rules, you do have to spend some money, honestly, was what it really comes down to. It might not be money, money. It might be more assets and resources or time or whatever, but it's ultimately a cost. Whatever the reason, it was clear that this particular approach to protecting information wasn't sufficient if the EU actually wanted to keep EU citizen information secure in servers that weren't even in the European Union. All right, flash forward to 2012. The EU decided it needed to take another stab at creating a unified data protection law to replace the data protection directive. So the directive had ultimately been too loosey-goosey, and that meant that different member nations had different principles and enforcement strategies. It was too piecemeal, and it wasn't unified the way a European Union needed to be. So this new law would resolve the various differences between the different implementations in the member states of the EU and create a more coherent policy that was EU-wide and would protect citizen data privacy. That took four years to actually formalize. But on April 14th, 2016, the EU approved the new set of rules called the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, and this became a truly huge deal for any company outside the EU that wanted to do business inside the EU, particularly for internet-based companies. The rules covered any entity that processed or transmitted data from within the EU to somewhere else. A whole bunch of other stuff was in those rules too, but I've done episodes about GDPR in the past, so we're just going to say this was a more broad, sweeping, and yet unified approach to data privacy And it created big old headaches for companies around the world to ensure that they were compliant with GDPR. In fact, to this day, that's still a big thing. Ultimately, that's at the heart of the meta problem we were talking about. It was GDPR that would necessitate things like a pop-up message that would alert users to a site's reliance on web cookies, for example, because that's a type of tracking. It would also require foreign services to expressly ask for the consent of users in order to collect their data. 
and you know companies tried to find different creative ways to get around that to maximize the number of people who would quote unquote uh agree to this by making it a difficult thing to opt out of <laughs> and that doesn't fly very well in the GDPR there are a lot of regulatory agencies that pounce on that kind of practice they're also supposed to explain how information is going to be used and to give people the opportunity to opt out of any data collection and that kind of thing so the GDPR replaced the data protection directive and became enforceable in 2018 all right now in the meantime where that was happening, the safe harbor principles, which remember, this was a framework that companies could follow in order to be considered uh, safe under GDPR rules. That had already been invalidated by the EU in 2015. They they said, well, you know, data protection directive is not sufficient and safe harbor, which was designed to work within data protection directive, that by extension is not sufficient. So... It doesn't apply anymore. It was not robust enough to satisfy the requirements of the upcoming GDPR. So the European Commission and the United States government negotiated a new political agreement to codify rules on how commercial transatlantic exchanges of personal information from EU citizens to U.S. servers could actually happen. Those rules would become known as the EU-U.S. Privacy Shield. Like the safe harbor principles, this was really meant to create a framework in which companies could operate legally within the European Union. U.S. companies that gather user data would have to comply with this set of rules in order to make services available to citizens in the EU. Otherwise, they would be violating privacy law in Europe. Like the previous system, the Privacy Shield includes guiding principles that all organizations are expected to follow. While it beefed up some of the protections incorporated into the previous systems, critics were worried that there were still some big gaps in the privacy shield process and that ultimately it would get challenged and struck down by the European Commission. And those concerns likely went into overdrive in 2017 when then-President Donald Trump signed an executive order that denied U.S. privacy protections to anyone who is not a U.S. citizen or resident. So in other words, according to that executive order, U.S. companies would not be held accountable for guaranteeing data privacy and security for any non-U.S. citizens or residents. Considering that GDPR demands that any entity that transfers EU citizen data overseas must protect that information, that was a problem. By the way, Joe Biden would later rescind that executive order in 2021, but by then, things had already changed in Europe. So we're going to talk about those changes and how Privacy Shield would follow in the footsteps of Safe Harbor and get invalidated after we come back from these messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. 
Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. So as I was alluding before the break, the critics of the Privacy Shield uh, process who said this is not going to be seen as sufficient uh, were absolutely right. The EU Commission reviewed the Privacy Shield policy in 2020 and determined that it was not enough to protect EU citizen private data and struck it down. Specifically, there were concerns that the U.S. government would be able to conduct surveillance on EU citizen data and that under EU law, that was a violation of of human rights and freedom rights of EU citizens. So there was a need to formulate yet another data privacy framework that would address this issue. And that's kind of where we are now. See, without a framework it becomes very difficult to do business in the European Union. The framework, you know, it, it smooths things out. It speeds things up because it's it's one point, one system that companies in, say, well, specifically the United States, can go through in order to qualify to do business in the EU and be con- considered compliant with the rules of GDPR. So this new framework is still taking shape. It doesn't exist yet. It is in the process of existing. And it will take even longer for the EU to formalize and adopt and enforce that rule once it is finished. In the meantime, we're in an era where things are really unstable. Now, one way companies have managed to continue to operate in the absence of a formal framework 
is to file what are called Standard Contractual Clauses, or SCCs, with the EU. You can think of this as essentially being a legal agreement, and that this legal agreement provides a guarantee that the non-EU company is taking pains to conform to GDPR requirements. So it's essentially saying, you know, we're we're obeying the rules. Securing SCCs can be time-consuming, and it isn't a smooth process, at least not as smooth as being able to just apply to uh, a framework like Privacy Shield or Safe Harbor. So it can be a bit of a headache. And now let's talk about Ireland and its Data Protection Commission, or DPC, because this relates directly to the meta story. The DPC determined back in 2020 that two of Meta's platforms, namely Facebook and Instagram, relied on a data controller that could not provide a guarantee that data from Irish citizens would be protected from U.S. government surveillance. And so by extension, that would violate data privacy laws in the EU. That would also mean that Meta would not qualify for an SCC, at least in terms of Facebook and Instagram. WhatsApp, a totally different platform, uses a completely different data controller and is not part of this. Like WhatsApp can operate in the EU fine because it is not subject to the same vulnerabilities that Facebook and Instagram are. Then last month, which for those listening in the future would be July of 2022, the DPC, this regulatory agency in Ireland, filed an updated draft order to shut down Instagram and Facebook services in the EU and filed that with other regulators within the EU. So the other member states that have regulatory agencies, they all received a filing of this updated draft decision. While the contents of that order weren't made entirely public, it did become clear that DPC was telling other regulators that they should halt Facebook and Instagram's ability to transfer EU citizen data to the U.S. because it could not guarantee safety against U.S. surveillance. This would effectively shut down Facebook and Instagram within the European Union and to EU citizens. So let's get into some complicated political stuff now. Under Article 60 of the GDPR, the rest of the EU's data protection agencies have four weeks from that filing to comment on the DPC's conclusion. Uh, Those four weeks are up this week, by the way. So if after four weeks there are no objections to the DPC's decision, which is, again, to essentially shutter Facebook and Instagram within the EU, that decision then becomes binding. Yowza. Now, if there are objections, which you know likely there are some, then the DPC, the Irish regulatory agency, has two weeks to respond and address any objections. Or alternatively, they can choose not to change anything and just submit their decision to the European Data Protection Board, or EDPB. This is like the overall regulatory agency, the agency of regulatory agencies. And the EDPB would then decide whether or not the decision should apply across the European Union. The EDPB, which, by the way, is hard to say quickly, would have one month to make that decision. 
though it could also request a month extension if the board determined that the matter is complicated enough to warrant more consideration. So two months maximum to decide on this matter. At that point, after a month or two months, if it's extended, the board would go to a vote. If the vote passes in either direction by two-thirds majority, then that's the decision. So you have to have a two-thirds majority for there to be a clear decision on the matter. If it doesn't get two-thirds, then the the whole thing is given another two weeks of, of debate, and then it goes to another vote. And then this one just requires a simple majority. So it does get bureaucratically complicated if like all of this plays out. Now, will that happen? That's hard to say. Let's take a few different scenarios in turn. So Ireland's DPC filed the decision in early July. It's already been four weeks. So if no other data protection agency in the EU has objected to the DPC's conclusion, boom, the decision becomes binding and we'll know really soon. If some data protection agency objected, well, then that adds another two weeks for the DPC to respond, at which point, if there are no other objections, boom, decision becomes binding. Or the DPC might submit this decision to the overall agency, the EDPB, and boy howdy, these initialisms are really getting clunky, and the EDPB would have at least one month, at most two, to come to a vote on the matter. If the vote fails to gain two-thirds majority in either direction, then we get another two weeks, and then it goes to another vote with majority rules. Meta has indicated that it might have to shut down its services of Facebook and Instagram in the EU anyway, at least until the new framework takes effect. The new framework is called the Transatlantic Data Privacy Framework. And even then, it's uncertain, because after all, the European Commission has already determined that two preceding frameworks, Safe Harbor and Privacy Shield, that were meant to be in in, uh, compliance with EU law were lacking, and both of those got struck down. So there's no guarantee that the same thing would not happen yet again. This raises the question if it's even possible for a company like Meta to operate these services in the EU, at least the way it has been doing without a massive overhaul in its data handling services. Maybe if Meta were to establish EU-centric servers that were separate from everything else, it was not sending EU data to any place outside the European Union. It was like a EU-specific version of Facebook and an EU-specific version of Instagram. Maybe then it would be fine, but that would be kind of ridiculous. Also, I have a feeling that a lot of users would be upset that they wouldn't be able to access or interact with stuff outside the EU, uh, or if Meta were able to guarantee that it's, you know, the, the agencies that are handling data from the EU to the U.S. were, in fact, uh, protected against U.S. surveillance, then maybe it would be all right. But it can't, at least not now. Now, it's possible that this new framework, once enacted, would allow Meta to continue operating Facebook and Instagram within the EU through some sort of exception. Though, again, there's no guarantee that this framework will withstand court scrutiny over time. This is the situation that Meyer referred to in that article in Fast Company, that Meta may have no choice but to stop offering Facebook and Instagram services to EU citizens. Meyer also quotes a Facebook investor named Robert McNamee, who snarkily said that this could be a real disaster for Meta because users would soon figure out that they're much better off without access to those platforms. I happen to agree with McNamee as someone who 
got off of Instagram and Facebook. Um, I feel like I'm better off for doing that. Better off in the larger sense. I do miss being able to interact with my friends in a concentrated, easy way. Uh, It does take a little more effort. And you quickly figure out which friends decide you're worth that effort. All right. Obviously, the loss of a market the size of the European Union would be a huge blow to Meta, a company that's already dealing with other crises. Now, it's still too early to say if that's definitely going to happen, but no matter what the outcome, this ongoing struggle to find ways for non-EU companies to comply with EU privacy laws is going to be an enormous challenge. It has been and it will continue to be. EU regulators and politicians are exceedingly wary about the sincerity of U.S. companies when it comes to their claims of protecting information, and for good reason. There's lots of evidence to point that we should be suspicious of those kinds of claims. And while I have focused on Meta in this episode, the truth is those requirements apply to all non-EU companies. Uh, And I've been really focusing on the U.S. here, but that applies to anything outside the EU. So doing business in the internet age and doing business within the EU is going to require regular investment to assure the EU that companies are playing by the rules. And uh, that's just going to be difficult. You have entire companies that exist as consulting firms to help other companies make sure that they are complying by the rules because the, the cost of business, if you're found by some regulatory agency in the EU to have fallen short, is enormous. That's what Meta is going through now. I don't know if Facebook and, and Instagram are, are not long for this world in the EU. Um, it, we will have to keep our eyes on it. It wouldn't surprise me if we see politicians struggle to make sure that there remains access within the EU for these platforms. They're incredibly popular. They're important for things like small businesses within the EU. But, you know, you have the regulators and then you have the politicians and politicians move slowly when it comes to creating these policies that sometimes get overturned later on. Regulators move way faster. So it, it may see that we'll see interruptions in service, perhaps with a return. I mean, there you would have to imagine that Meta would want to return even if its business is curtailed for, you know, some indeterminate length of time because you don't want to leave money on the table. Anyway, thought that that was an interesting topic. It relates heavily to technology because ultimately it is very hard to guarantee data security. Uh, it's, it's hard to do because often you come up with ways that data is really valuable and you want to use it. And sometimes that breaks the rules or sometimes it's, it's just hard because creating any secure system is incredibly difficult. If someone's really determined to get access to a secure system, often they can find a way. So yeah, a difficult, difficult challenge. And, uh, you know, the European Union has created laws that in many ways have made it difficult to innovate uh, in in certain ways and also comply with those laws. Uh, That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it may be that, Whatever the innovation was isn't worth the trade-off in privacy and security, but it also means that it creates this extra hurdle that innovators and companies and and all sorts of people have to get over in order to make their vision a reality. Um, Yeah, it's a balancing act. 
Well, that's it for this episode. If you have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me and let me know. One way to do that is to download the iHeartRadio app. It is free to download. You can then search for Tech Stuff, navigate over to the podcast page. There's a little microphone icon there. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to hear. Or if you prefer, you can reach out on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.